Welcome to Matt Fife, the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. I almost called it Toxic to Triumph. For those of you who followed me for a while, followed my journey, you guys know that my podcast used to be called uh, Toxic to Triumph, but we uh, now have a new name, and I'm excited about this new season. And I'm excited about today's guest, someone who I consider a friend, and uh, I'm looking forward and anticipating on having a lot of different guests on here that are great thinkers, people who are self-aware, people who are emotional intelligence, who present a lot of emotional intelligence because that's the goal of this podcast is to allow and to make emotional intelligence and mental health, uh, mental health go viral. So I'm looking forward to having Jamie Mailer on. And so I'm going to uh, introduce her here in a second. So uh, thank you guys very much for participating, uh, whether you are joining on YouTube or any other platform. I know I, we have people in here from Facebook and we have people in here from uh, Twitch and from all around. And so I'm, I'm excited to have each and every single one of you guys on here. So uh, with all that being said, our next guest, Jamie, is a mental health expert and she specializes in toxic relationship recovery. She helps people unlearn people pleasing and break up and generational trauma as well as confidently um, uh, laying out boundaries, teaching clients to recognize toxic traits and behaviors in both in themselves and in others. She is a licensed mental health therapist in the state of New York. So obviously you guys know that I absolutely love Jamie because she more than likely loves wings and loves blue cheese, I'm assuming, uh, but I'll let her speak to that. She might be a ranch person. I seriously doubt it because she's in Western New York or Central New York because she's in Rochester. Um, but she's in the state of New York. She's also a relational coach, helping her clients um, build skills and uh, that society does not teach them. So for those of you who have followed me, you guys know that I uh, absolutely adore Jamie. She's someone who who's who I find very inspirational as a creator. Creator. She's also someone that, that is that I consider as a friend. So. Let's welcome Jamie Mailer to the stream. Jamie, thank you, and welcome to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you on, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation. So, um, tell us a little bit about you, and tell us where tell us where you're at, and tell us about blue cheese versus ranch. Oh my God! Yeah, no, I am I am chilling. I mean, it's like you know New York getting like to the end of the day. I'm good. Um, I am definitely team blue cheese. I am team Rudy's blue cheese. If you're uh -huh. over in if you're over in Buffalo area, right? Like Rudy's yeah. is like the blue cheese. Okay. Um, yes, definitely team blue cheese. Extra celery. I need all the crunch. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, um, I am just so honored to be here. Yeah, it's been a journey. I just realized I hit my two-year TikTok anniversary. So um, that's been a wild ride. Um, and, you know, love all the work that you've been doing, Matt. So I'm glad we can chat for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the show. And so you and I, we connected on TikTok and you and I, I, we share a lot of very similar experiences. We also share a lot of uh, content. We share a lot of viewers who uh, who um, learn a lot of similar things from both of us. We're both 
big on, on skill building and mm-hmm. about building on self-love and principles of self-love. And, um, and uh, so how, what sales first, like first and foremost, how did you get into it? Like what made you decide to, um, to get on TikTok first of all? Uh, that was just a fluke. I mean, uh, one of my really close friends, we used to, I used to work inpatient psych. Actually, that's something a lot of people don't, I would love to talk about that more on my page, but, um, I used to work inpatient psych and literally left that job right before I started on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was actually one of my friends that was currently working on that unit who was like sending me TikToks and like, I was like, what the heck is this? And like, she was like sending me like really funny videos and, I actually always tell her that she's the reason that this is all happening because she's actually, you know, in school for social work. And like, so, so we're all this like whole, you know, like mental health gang. So, um, that's how I got on. And I actually wasn't initially starting to make mental health content. I was just kind of like bored and quarantined and, you know, not doing much. And, you know, a lot has changed because I remember going back to my old videos and I was like, Ooh, like, that's interesting like Mm -hmm. the stuff that i would post like if anyone really wants to do a deep dive go Mm -hmm. ahead and scroll two years worth of videos which is probably over a thousand videos now i'm like that's not gonna be fun but like Mm -hmm. you can do it and like the stuff you're gonna find is hilarious like i've i've kind of crafted it down but there's some funny ones in there that i kept um But yeah, basically it was a couple months in and I remember, uh, I was always really big on like really, um, kind of just speaking to mental stigma. That was like really the thing that I was trying to like curb, like, you know, curb for people, which was like the stigmas around how we even talk about mental health. And actually we are always involved in the TikTok drama. I'm sure you probably have seen some of that stuff, but like, I really get upset even in the TikTok world that people will like benefit from other people's like mental health problems that or like drives it, me up a wall. It, right. And like I get that like there's there's a there's something to be said about like speaking to issues. Like I get like with the whole Will Smith thing or with like whatever that was going on recently. Mm-hmm. I don't want to date this because whoever listens to this while like years right. from now. But mm-hmm. like basically there's a couple of things that go on. But like it's that concept of like if somebody's going through something, sure. You can speak to it and be like, yeah, this is like this is my take. This is whatever. Um but to to honestly like mock someone's actual mental health issue that is most likely linked to a trauma that is so deep within them it literally shakes me to my core and that's actually one of the reasons why i did get into what what i started doing which was i started actually using celebrities that's what i don't know if you realize that i started like doing mental health content that was like specifically around certain celebrities and Mm -hmm. i did like Demi lovato i did like britney spears like i did a lot of the like names of the mental health world um and then that kind of just spiraled into more specific type of content like hey if you like mental health hey if you do this right and then it kind of just went from there like i started speaking about like kind of I you know sometimes I do my really dramatic videos and those usually like would hit pretty hard but that was where it went off from and then you know I did a lot of general stuff and it wasn't until this like past year that I really started focusing on like the genre and the niche Mm -hmm. of like recovery from these types of relationships um and 
you know, a lot of this is like hitting hard and very close to home. And I, I don't think that every therapist or coach has to always go through this exact thing, but like, I do think you reach a different level of understanding when you've done a lot of self-work and you've also been exposed to a lot of these different situations that you can actually look at the people you're helping and being like, no, 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 I know exact, like, not that I know exactly your experience. Like I know that moment that you're speaking of because that sim there was a similarity. I've been through this gaslighting or I've been through this situation. Um, that I remember when I, I remember when I, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I remember when I first, uh, hopped on and I for I made my first video. I, I was very similar to you where I didn't I didn't hop on to TikTok to create videos about narcissism or anything like that. But then I made one and all of a sudden it started taking off and I saw that it was a, a tool that possibly could right. help people, right? And um but there's also there was also a part of me that was like a little bit worried that people would take it the wrong way that people would take it as someone who was mocking or something like that because mm, TikTok yeah. is a TikTok is a very different dynamic for sure. where you know where there's a lot of trends and things like that was that something that you were a little bit concerned with I mean the hardest part about doing mental health content on TikTok is that it's ex- like psychology is nuanced like I can do one take and someone's like reading it through a different lens and it's happened to me so many times that I sit there and I go listen like one of my roles is to educate and there are going to be different lenses that you might take this content content with. Right. So someone's like, well, you could weaponize this or you could do this. Or I remember one time I was doing the like DV, like sign the hand sign, the like where you take this. I don't know if anyone knows this, whoever's watching, but it's like you take your thumb and you tuck your thumb in and you wrap your hand. Okay. So that's like the sign of, I need help. I need assistance. Something's wrong. Um, and I remember doing a video on that and someone being like, oh my God, you just shared that with all of the people that are like going to victimize people. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's like, this is the nature of education is that when you're educating people about like manipulative tactics or different Mm -hmm. things that are happening, like sure, there could be a very small percentage that someone's watching that and being like, ooh, that's a good strategy. Or ooh, now I know that like, that's not a secret. And I go, listen, like it's just like, this is the nature of education. And yeah. if people can't handle that, then like, you know, maybe this isn't the best place for you to like share yeah. your opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, TikTok's been a very interesting learning experience. And I think I've personally grown a lot from it because seriously, you kind of have to develop a specific type of approach when you're dealing with the nature of what happens on TikTok or Instagram. Like Instagram is a little bit of a different experience for me Mm -hmm. as like a creator which actually I think has been a pretty pretty big fresh or breath of fresh air for me because like for a while I was just kind of like TikTok was my only thing and then I pushed into Instagram and like that's pretty been that's been pretty decent so like um I think it's more or less like rolling or just riding the roller coaster (laughs) like you're basically just trying to have to like there are going to be some really rough patches when you're doing content creation and then there's going to be some like great you know, there's yeah. going to be some really high highs and kind of low lows and you kind of just have to be resilient. So with all, with all that being said, I mean, cause uh, yeah, I think you articulated it really well that there's a lot of people who may attack you on social media and it's very different when you're being attacked in person versus online. And, uh, you know, it's similar, right? It still hurts. It still stings, right? What, right. what do you tell people who, 
experience that level of toxicity, whether it be in person or online? Is it, do you tell them to how to, um, is that what you would advise them, would it be the same treatment? Like if, if it's in person versus online or what, what do you usually tell them? Right. I mean, like if you're looking at like, um, exposure to any like toxic experience online i think the hardest part is that you it's i don't even want to say it's the hardest part it's one of those things that like we fail to realize the power we have over energy okay so if you think about it in the moment when i'm when i'm interacting with someone in the moment right in front of them physically you actually you have a lot of like in the moment distractions, right? Mm-hmm. You're like trying to take into account like all the things that are going on and you are trying to take account of the environment and like all of the different things that you're like, mm, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't yeah. say this, right? But when you're online, like that's the one of the best places to practice like a boundary or one of the best places to practice your own assertiveness because if you're sitting there and you're getting, I don't know, some kind of response or someone's kind of like trying to, you know, turn your words or like make you out to be something like you're not, it's like to honor that, like they're actually like reading it a very particular way. And then you're holding space and validating, right. In a way that honestly isn't, it's not you making excuses. It's not you going on the defense. Like I've, I've had many conversations on Instagram where someone's like completely reading me incorrectly. And I will say, listen, like you're, you're, you're watching this video in a very particular way. And the nature of this video is you're picking out a very particular thing. And then you're looking at it through like a black and white mindset. Mm -hmm. And so what I need you to understand is that like one of the main purposes of this video is X, Y, Z. Right. And so what I was doing there was I was like explaining, like, you can see this a very particular way. And it also is not necessarily the way that I'm like actually intentionally like putting this out there. Right. And so it's the concept of nuance. It's the concept of like, sometimes people can't see that. Like they can't see that. Sometimes they don't want to. Right. And they're intentionally, you know, and one of the things uh, I I saw a a study uh, recently and because I I have a lot of creators who come to me about uh, about people who are trolling them online. And what what's very interesting about online trolls is that a lot of them fall under the cluster cluster B spectrum. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether it be narcissism, whether it be uh, BPD or um, or just flat out just unhealed trauma in another form. and what people don't realize is that when people are trolling you online, they are literally trying to be a roadblock between you and success. There's something that you have said that has right. triggered them, that bothers them to a point where they want to uh, want to stop you from success, whether it be from you getting to that next level in terms of your followers, in terms of your growth, in terms of or getting you to uh, to stop saying the things that you say because they know that it hits too close to home. Right. For example. I know both of us have been through through this when we talk about religious trauma, right? right? Whenever, anytime I talk about religious trauma, right? Uh, my DMs are full of, you're going to hell. You're straying people away from uh, from the Lord. You're straying people away from this. You're straying people away from that. Um, and uh, even though there uh, there's a strong argument and, and a lot of people say that it actually brings them closer to whatever spirituality that they might feel because they know they know now how to set a lot of those boundaries mm-hmm. that you and I talk about so often. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And so um, 
Tell us a little bit more about, because uh, I know you speak a lot about religious trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. What, First of all, what is it? A lot of times, I think that's a word that's popped up a lot more often, and right. people are starting to relate a little bit more at the fact that uh, that this really is an actual thing. And mm-hmm. I think for, for a long time, I mean, you and I talked uh, before the show, I, I could speak that for a long time for me, it was... Uh, something I kind of suffered with in silence, like, what the hell is this? Right. And, and, you know, and you want to ask certain questions, right. But mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, that the questions that you want to ask, right. It's always going to circle back to the, the specific narrative or, or this or that, right. What, first of all, what in your own, in your own words or words that you've kind of, that you kind of articulate to, to people who you work with, um, what, what is religious trauma? Right. Like, I mean, if you really think about what trauma is, it's either too fast, too much, too soon, or it's too long. Yeah. Right. And so we got the like too fast trauma that like is the typical trauma. And then too long is complex trauma. Right. Yeah. And so you got to understand if someone's speaking over your truth and you're this starts at four years old and like religious mm-hmm. ed or whatever. And then you basically are grown up through all of these concepts of like hell, like, you know, fire and brimstone, like, like we actually do teach psychologically. We teach things that are actually actually not developmentally appropriate for that Mm -hmm. age group. And nobody wants to talk about that. Right. I mean, I literally have like a tattoo of David and Goliath from my Mm -hmm. past days. And I think about like, literally I would at times be described, like people would describe what's happening to this man. It's like, he's getting his head, like totally like there's like, like it's bedding in his head. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, it's just like, it's one of those things where I'm like, why was, (laughs) why was I getting taught this like terrible story? You know, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's one of those things where that actually well, is Sodom so... And, Gomorrah and, right. like, yeah. exactly. and it's like the stone mm-hmm. and like all the like, you know, all of these things. And it's like, it's one of those things where we get taught about all of these, honestly, like, I mean, I'm not going to go the religious era right, right now, but like, it's very, very scary stories, right? Mm-hmm. And like, we are conceptualizing our own identity in that story because mm-hmm. you got to remember, we're getting the story written for us mm-hmm. until we have the autonomy to take hold of that story. Yeah. Okay. So when we're children, the story is getting written in front of us and we are just absorbing, 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 absorbing. Yeah. Right. And so I, I explain it to a lot of people as it's complex trauma. Mm-hmm. That's why many people who have a religious trauma issue that's rooted, it's almost like the precipitant is religion. And then eventually it can manifest just as CPTSD, which is eventually the trauma is either removed or there's distance from the trauma and you're starting to see the implications of the complex trauma okay yeah. so with a lot of followers which i think you you have a lot of followers that are that are familiar with cptsd complex trauma is what i call drip trauma it's mm-hmm. trauma that slowly drips over you and mm-hmm. you literally are drowning but it's so normal that mm-hmm. you are saying this is my life now. Right. And when you say this is your life, and I actually just spoke to another person on this, I said, listen, you got to remember that when you normalize trauma, you don't have to attend to it. So when it's normalized, that is extremely dangerous. It's extremely dangerous when trauma is basically told to you as your lived experience. So when it becomes your lived experience, there is no need to hold space for the issues that are arising, right? You don't have to call attention to why you feel like you're suffocating. You don't have to call attention to your doubts because this is the normal 
this is your normal life. This is just how you are. This is just what you live with. And when I tell you I was in that mindset for so long, right? It was one of those things where I sat there and I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. I remember looking down the scope of my life, telling myself, this is your life now. Yeah. This is just how you're going to have to live your life, Jamie. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the, you know, you, you made your bed, you got to sleep in it. Like I, I, I was so devout. I think people might not realize this. I was... I am unrecognizable for what I was when I was like, even a co- even like. Well, as soon as you told me, as soon as you told me what school you went to, I I, I knew I was like, oh. Goodness. Actually, Bana's yeah. was a Bana's. Bana's was actually not as bad, but like my bestie went to Bana's, and she mm-hmm. said there was always like a there was like a little subset of like people. You know what's there. interesting? I didn't stay on campus, so I didn't. Right, you, know, you didn't probably didn't expose mm-hmm. to some yeah. of it, but mm-hmm. but she also told me like Bana's was like. It was very low key, but mm-hmm. it had little pockets that you could mm-hmm. also find those things in, right? And you can find that anywhere, really. Yeah. So the idea of like how deep I was in it, I remember almost having to come to similar to the people healing from narcissistic abuse. Mm-hmm. You have to remember that there is a moment in your journey that you sometimes have to sit in that pit of that moment saying, I am now like a part of this and what am I supposed to do? How do I challenge this? This is my community. This is my family. This is my partner. This is my, you know, the father of my children or the mother of my children. Like you have to sit there and say, in order to challenge this, this literal like manifestation of what my entire life become became, you basically have to say, everything has to basically change, right? In order for me to feel out of this system or in, or sovereign over the system. You hit it. You hit the nail on the head there because a lot of times when people, uh, I know you, you deal with this with people who you work with is that you, a lot of times people want the other person to change so bad. The other person, the other group, they want them to change so bad because it makes because uh, as you and I both know, like it, it's uh, it, it, you can avoid change yourself, right? And and what I tell people, whether they're dealing with a narcissistic significant other or religious trauma, that you have to do work too. And what and people are like, you know, all of a sudden you you get the deer in the headlight look, you know, and I and I, I tell people, especially in my lives, that. You know, you have to understand that you're, and you hit the nail on the head on this earlier, right? Your voice has been silenced, which means that you also have to speak up more often, right? And you have to, and that's something that you have to get comfortable with. And all, all of a sudden, you know, that that panic starts to rush because everyone subconsciously typically knows, right? That there's that, that there is potential consequences that possibly could happen. And that could mean the end of the relationship or that I might have to leave this church, this place, because I know that the only way that this relationship works is for me to stay silent and for and to allow for this person to continuously talk over me. And that change that they're looking for is just not going to happen, right? The change in the other person is not going to happen. And so when we begin to talk about change within yourself, it begins to you, you get to a point where you have to now begin to accept the truth that this relationship, whether it be in this toxic church or workplace or with this person, just is not going to work with me continuing to live the way that I am. Mm -hmm. 
or the life that I want to, I should say. Right. And that's the thing is we live in this cognitive dissonance a lot, especially with like church stuff. Like I see it a lot in my, like my, my own family is that like when I really get some of the nitty gritty out of some of my family members, they'll sit there and be like, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that teaching. I don't agree with that belief I don't agree. Right. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, but you literally go to church constantly. Like, I don't know. Like, and like, but they're, but they literally live in that cognitive dissonance saying yeah. like, yeah, I go to church, but like, I don't really have to like completely go along with it. And to some degree, sure. You don't have to be like all or nothing, but like when some of the precipice, like literally the staples of that church is like something you don't agree with, like, what are we doing? Right. Like, yeah. I guess I sit there and I'm like, well, well, what are you, what are you doing? Cause it's like, yeah. it's kind of like not the point if you're just like, if you're like, no, but like, but what you're really saying is I'm not willing to make, make that massive shift. So right. it's easier to just kind of play the role because actually challenging that is going to be way too hard. And I'm like, yeah, honestly, to some degree, I kind of, I, I actually honor some of my like clients autonomy where it's not like, I'm not sitting there trying to dictate. Yeah, this is exactly what you have to do. Right. But like to some degree, if they're like, actually like, this is just how it is. Like, mm -hmm. I obviously know that they, they can go a level, they can go, they can level up. Like they can absolutely yeah. level up from that. Mm -hmm. But if they're sitting there and they're like, honestly, I'm just going to go to church. Right. And like, I'm like, yeah. okay, that sounds like you've claimed, it sounds like you've claimed that decision. And like, that's what you want to do. So like, it's not my role to be like, oh my God, no. you shouldn't mm -hmm. do it. But like, it also, if you have to come to terms with like, Hey, I, I'm going to church and I actually know that like, these aren't the things that I like really believe. Okay. Well, like you're going to just need to come to peace with that then right. because like you're, you're showing up in two different ways and you got to come to peace with that in some way. So it's, it's difficult because this is what we mean by like becoming our most authentic self is being radically honest with ourselves. And I am telling you, that's the hardest part about like my own personal journey was like being radically honest with like what I, like how I was showing up to people, how I was showing up to relationships, like how I was, like when I tell you the church taught me to be a codependent, like I actually made this joke with my own therapist the other day. I like literally said these words. I was like, how did you like not take my shoulders, shake me and say every single relationship has codependency issues, right? And yeah. she was like, me and her are laughing. I've worked with her for years. So like we're sitting there laughing and I'm like, no, but like legitimately when I look back, like it infiltrated almost every single relationship I had. Yeah. I was literally just going to ask you. And uh, so talk, talk to us more about how the church creates codependency. That's something I talk about a lot, but also just like the impact that it has on your other relationships. I know that I know that's something that, that I, that I experienced that I speak to a lot. Uh, it, it had some traumatic, I'm surprised that some of my friends are still friends with me after, oh my some, God, things, me yeah, <laughs> like, after the, some things I've done, after some things I've said, I look back at uh, the more, uh, the, the religious trauma version of me. And I'm like, man, I cannot believe that, like, you know, oh, I and I like, just, yeah. I uh, was beyond all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, actually, this is where I think some of my religious trauma stuff is, like, very linked to the way, like, my mental health stuff showed up. So, mm -hmm. like, when I would be, like, working, it really exacerbated because I have, like, OCD and remission. Yeah. And, like, not the, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I try to explain to people, first of all, mental health 
you know, mental health is not adjectives. So yeah. like when I say that, that's actually something that I like absolutely have been like crippled by. And it's like a really big problem in my past. Mm -hmm. um, so to not take it lightly is a big deal. So the idea of when you have an OCD mind, which I'm in remission from, your brain will very much link um, absolutes, absolutes, yeah. right? So the absolutes of all or nothing, okay? You're either good or bad. You're either this or that. And like in the OCD mind, that makes so much sense to you. It's so like, it's the manifestation of like your reality. And so if I look at you and I go, well, no, like actually something's bad, something bad is going to happen. I'm not saying that lightly. I firmly believe something bad will happen if I don't click the light off three times. Right. Absolutely. That belief is so solid in my head that there is no convincing me otherwise. So when right. I, so enter religion, right? When someone says, these are the rules those aren't nuanced to me. Yeah. If someone says like, no, Jamie, you can't ever lie. I remember having this like really, really scared. Actually, this is a very real thought. I'm, I, it just popped in my mind. I remember thinking I was reading the diary of Anne Frank mm -hmm. or it was, I was reading some like clip of it. Okay. And I remember hearing about the soldiers coming to, the door yeah and the family that was hosting them they were like who's here like let me like, like, let me check around blah, blah blah and they're like no everything's fine like you know we're not that nothing's wrong here right and they just completely like was bluff they were bluffing right and that's how they stayed alive for so long right every right. time they checked they never disclosed anything and they stayed alive right and i remember thinking i couldn't lie to those the, what is it? The Hitler's army or whatever, Gestapo yeah. or something, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, I couldn't lie to them. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, if I lied, then I would be immediate. Like, even if I was killed, I'd be going to hell. So why would I lie? Why wouldn't I just like give them up? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking it was so morally black and white mm -hmm. or all or nothing that there was no room for nuance. And that's right. so perfect in the OCD mind is that it actually took my baseline problem and actually sent me through a tailspin. So some of my religious trauma is actually recovering from that tailspin of like my own mental health stuff. And then the, then it was very layered, by the way, this is a very layered problem. And then it was very layered because it got very, um, all or nothing when it was taken like accountability. So here right. comes the codependency stuff. In certain religions, it's not all religions, but some religions have this, and I don't even need to name names, but like some religions have that element of accountability, right? Yeah. I don't know what they call it in certain, like they have all of those terms, right? Mm -hmm. Your brother's keeper, right? Mm -hmm. Like your whatever, like, okay. So when we look at that, sure. Does that look innocent on the like, on the surface level, sure, mm -hmm. sure, that looks like pretty innocent, right? But what it's, but what it's actually saying is there's some kind of like fluidity with yourself and an other, yeah. and their actions are somehow linked to your actions, which actually is low key, like not even low key, but like when you exacerbate it, it is like full on codependency at one point right. because now. If 
I happen to have like a partner that has, you know, substance use disorder with alcoholism or something like now I am shared in that dynamic because I am accountable for their actions. And I am the one that if they don't want to go to AA, I drive them there. And if they don't want to, you know, say sorry to their mother for what they did, I say sorry for them. Right. And I go, well, you're not accountable for their action. Like that's literally not what you are. Like you actually, that's the whole enabling thing that happens in substance use disorders. Right. And I tell people, and you, can, like, you can almost forget it. If, uh, if they have wronged you in some way, right. Absolutely. And you have to turn the other cheek and, and oh like, my we can God, go, we can go uh, round and round about, you know, and I, and I'm a big advocate for forgiveness, but not to an extent where it's, where it's causing harm to you. Mm. Right. And when we're talking about, um, you know, uh, I mean, how, how many times do we hear about uh, forgiveness and accepting others and things of that nature? And as, as well intended as sometimes that might be, right? We also have to understand that there are points of time where we do need to begin to walk away mm-hmm. and we do need to, uh, and, and um, you know, and, and most, most, uh, I'll say, yeah, let me take that, let me rephrase that. I, I you know, I'm, I'm comfortable to say that in, all spiritual backgrounds, right? There are parts of it where it actually teaches people to to walk away from dynamics that are unhealthy. Right. But because we're talking about a lot of a lot of covert narcissistic spiritual leaders, mm-hmm. right? They just conveniently don't teach those things, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, and and you see this a lot. You know, I know I know you you work with a lot of people who are dealing with. Uh, toxic um, partners and things of that nature. And then when they do go to a lot of these spiritual leaders, the first thing they say is that you need to forgive. You need to, as long as everyone stays together, right? Because what happens if they do go through a divorce, if they do split up, then it's a potential black mark, right? Even though most people don't actually see it like that, but the the image of the church takes mm-hmm. a hit. So a lot of, pe- a lot of spiritual leaders uh, will try to keep people together, even if it's at that person's expense. Expense. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's actually, this is where it mimics the toxic family or the toxic, like it's a, it's a toxic system. So if we have that spiritual leader, that's at the, the apex of the, you know, the hierarchy, if you think about certain family systems, no, no, we're not going to talk about him going to prison. We're not right. going to talk about Uncle Joe. We're not going to talk about Uncle Mike. We're not going to talk about like Uncle, like whoever. Like, uh, yeah, we're not going to do that. The family secrets. Right. And, mm-hmm. and because, or, you know, Aunt Karen who, you know, went to rehab or whoever, like, or Aunt, like, you know, Michelle that did that. Right. It's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just that concept of like, we can't be authentic. We can't be real. We can't actually show our wounds because if we do, then it looks like the system failed. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's enmeshment. And I don't know if your Mm -hmm. listeners have heard that term before, but enmeshment is everybody's bound together. Mm -hmm. And so when one person is failing or faltering or something, 
right? Mm -hmm. Everybody suffering, right. which is very, very of like a religious nature. Like, oh, your your sister's suffering. Your sister in Christ is suffering. You need to go tend to her. You need to go do this, right? And forgive and do this. And it doesn't matter if they hurt you, right? Just keep forgiving. And I go, well, like to some degree, sure. I believe in forgiveness, but forgiveness is very misunderstood in our society. Mm -hmm. And it is not. Weaponized too. It, oh, absolutely. It's weaponized. It's absolutely weaponized because mm -hmm. it's not about like for, forgiveness is release over the energy that that carried over you. That's it. Like it is yeah. not saying, hey, um, you can continue to like hurt me and mm -hmm. you can continue. Right. Forgiveness in reality is a release. And also with that release is the accountability of the implication of what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is the hardest part because I have done a lot of messed up stuff in my life. I have not acted great. I have been that toxic person and people don't, this is what, this is the hardest truth for us that like who have been that person or have really struggled. You have to make peace with, they don't have to stay in your life. Nope. Okay. If they want to be autonomous and the person that you wronged, wants to walk away, mm -hmm. you have no ownership over that decision. So if they want to walk away, they are fully free to walk away. And yeah. that is a very hard pill for us to swallow that mm -hmm. have been that toxic person. Because if you look at it, you're like, no, 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 but I've changed or I'm working on myself. Sure. You can be working on yourself. And that's, there's nothing like, this is what I try to explain to people. It's definitely nothing is an absolute, no, all or nothings. So you can be working on themselves and they can be in pain from their yeah. past situation with you. So they are allowed to mm -hmm. have either space or a complete like walking away from mm -hmm. what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't have to be like continually, you know, you don't have to keep reaching out. Like you don't have at some point you have to honor that that's their decision. Yeah. Right. And there is pain from that moment because if you think about it it's like but i'm doing all the right things and i really am like actually changing right yeah. i'm not just saying it i'm actually changing i'm really healing now okay yeah. but they don't have to wait for your healing they no. don't have to wait for you on the other side and that is why so many people who are doing this work who are actually like oh yeah i, I definitely recognize there was like a toxic trait there or i recognize that there was things that i needed to heal right okay so many people are like, but like, I want, like, I'm not trying to manipulate them, but like, I just, I just want them to see, like, the, like, I want them to see how I'm seen and I want them to be like this. And I go, you don't get that choice though, ever. This is what's funny is that even if you weren't toxic, we never get the choice to assert ourselves over somebody else's autonomous decision. So whether or not they want to be your friend, whether or not you did anything toxic, you don't get to choose that. If they literally are showing up for themselves, that's their decision. That's that their comes decision. back. That goes back to uh, what you're, what you were talking about in terms of codependency, because one of, one of mm -hmm. the things that people forget about, uh, or they just weren't taught and like you and I talk about so often is how you're primed for codependency and things of that nature, but people don't talk enough about, mental and emotional boundaries. They are allowed mm. to think that you're the villain. They're allowed to. You you might be the villain in their story. And people who struggle with codependency and people-pleasing behavior, that's a struggle to think that someone doesn't like you, right? And then it leads to a lot of that, uh, that unhealthy people-pleasing behavior 
right? Which now you're now you're not being authentic to try to to try to convince someone that you're a good person. Which what are we trying to do? What, what's ultimately happening? You're trying to control the narrative. You're trying to control the way that other people see you. And and like a lot of people uh, find out is that when you try to control others, when, well, anything you try to control, that thing ends up controlling you. So whether that be with spirituality, whether that be with a narcissist, whether that be with a workplace dynamic, your family, and you're trying to convince people that you're a good person, you're to, or, or even in co-parenting situations. A lot of people mm-hmm. I work with are in co-parenting situations, and they want that validation so bad, right, that they're a good mother or a good father, that even though they're divorced, they may have been divorced for several years at some point, and they and and at some, but because they're overexerting themselves, trying to right get that validation from the other person, they end up still being controlled by that person. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what we're looking at is like, (laughs) it's, it's like, who is, oh God, it's like, sure. We all want to be perceived in a really great light. Like, sure. I want to be perceived, but I sit there and I go, first of all, I don't know the internet, like all of my story, but like, there's a lot of stuff that I've gone through even recently that like, I know that I've gone through so much personal growth that like, if it's perceived in a particular way, like I recently had a lot of issues with my relationship and like, there's, there's been so many things that I've had to like radically learn that while we are learning, if someone takes a microscope and like hones in on that one little aspect, it's going to be taken out of context. It's going to be, it's going to be amplified, especially in these ages of like, you know, social media or whatever. It's going to be like, Hey, um, you know, Jamie was like really like, just like petty and like, Mm -hmm. she was just whatever. And it's like, do you see that? Like, do you see how she's like, whatever. And it's like, okay, sure. But like when you're healing, you're healing out loud, which means you're healing in a way that's like, your wounds are going to show. Yeah. Right. And I go, you're actually not going to heal as fast if you are not radically calling out those wounds and saying, yeah, like I just, I realized like that was me people pleasing or that was me, you know, I mean, maybe that was a little manipulative, right? Like, or maybe, maybe I was just like gaslighting them. Like, I don't know. Like I kind of like, I kind of like got really defensive really fast. And like, I kind of asserted myself over their feelings and that's kind of messed up. Right. And it's like, okay, that's you learning though, because you're healing out loud, your wound is exposed. And so because it's exposed, you're actually seeing it faster. Okay. And when you can see the wound faster. Okay. So I made the joke recently because I was just talking to another person. Um, we were doing like another podcast. I was making a joke and I'll do it for you. So if I was like poking fun at you and I was like, oh yeah. And like, I made some, some comment about your appearance. Right. And I said to you in that moment, even on the podcast, I was like, yeah, but like, you can take it like, right. You think that's funny. Right. That's actually low key gaslighting because I'm on a spectrum Right. I tell people gaslighting is a spectrum. We can have the very toxic. I didn't hit you. You didn't have that bruise, that kind of stuff. Or I can literally just tell you how you feel, Matt. Yeah. That's a low key variation of gaslighting. And I can make excuses for it. I can be like, yeah, but I'm so sarcastic. Like, you know, like, you know, I didn't mean it. Like, you, you're you totally fine with that. Right. OK, well, 
first of all, I don't get a say over how you receive that joke. I don't get a say over how that sarcasm got received. And I don't, and if I'm going to put out sarcasm, I need to take whatever's on the other side of that sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so me saying you're totally fine with that. Right. First of all, if you're practicing that, if I'm actually dealing with someone who's like actively practicing that boundary, you can be like, I don't know, Jamie, like, that's kind of messed up, like, you know, or whatever, like you can literally hold space for that if you're doing this work. But the thing is, is if I'm doing the work and I typically have a personality, like my personality typically goes, which actually I don't love sarcasm, but like, let's say I do, like, let's say I go sarcastic a lot. Mm -hmm. I am actually, if I am working on that wound, I am going to try to hear that exposure out loud. So when I do that to you, Matt, I either can practice it in the moment saying, uh, okay. Yeah. Like, let me actually go back. You know, I, I made that joke, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like throw anything out there. You know, I just want you to be honest. Like if that hurt your feelings, like, let me know, dude, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. That's what it looks like to be radically honest with yourself. Right. Because what I was doing was I was low key gaslighting you. And I could backtrack and I could defend, which is on a lot of people. We know this because any of your followers who've done our gaslighting stuff, Mm -hmm. they know that the first thing that happens after gaslighting is someone will backtrack. Yeah. Right. So they Mm -hmm. will be like, you be like, no, actually, Jamie, that kind of hurt. It's like, oh, really? You can't take a joke? Mm-hmm. Really? You can't yeah. really do this? Are we really doing this right now? Like we're on a podcast. Are you serious? Right. You see this in actually the media a lot. The people mm-hmm. that are in lives and they mm-hmm. actually call to action. Like, excuse me, that's actually. And they're like, really? You're going to do this? Like, that's dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's exactly what we hear. It's not dramatic. I'm holding space for my experience. Mm-hmm. And what it takes is someone to catch yeah. those moments and actually swallow the pride and say, that joke might have actually hit hard. Mm-hmm. And I need to honor that that person perceived it in a way yeah. that wasn't a joke. Mm-hmm. And I might need to be a little more careful with my words. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what it looks like on both ends, right? When you're looking at doing this work, it looks like someone who's like radically calling themselves out is being aware at the wounds they're either causing or the wounds they're holding. Right. And then you're on your side, you're trying to be so aware that like, wait a second, like you just poked fun at my face or like, you just said something like really kind of rude to me. Like, um, I'm, I'm actually not laughing and I actually don't love that. Like, you know, okay, sure. Is that semi awkward? If anything, if that happened on like a psychological podcast, if anything, what would be radically powerful for the listeners is to see it happen. Right. <laughs> seriously, I mean, I don't want to like orchestrate it, but like seriously, like to see it happen would be, wow, you're right. I just asserted my own feelings about how I wanted that to be perceived, but it wasn't perceived the way I wanted it to be. Right. And so when you're sitting there saying, actually, Jamie, low key kind of offended right now. And I, I go, oh, right. What am I learning? I'm learning in that moment that my words mean something to people. And Mm -hmm. I don't get to dictate the feeling of those words over people. Mm -hmm. Right. But that takes honesty. That takes honesty from you. That takes honesty from me. That takes humbleness. That takes so many skill sets. Like people need to hear this. Whoever's listening. It takes self-awareness, right? It takes self-awareness. And and one of the things, one of the things about, you know, you and I both talked a lot about self-awareness and one of the things about 
uh, about it is really letting go of that ego and really having a much deeper understanding of your actual needs, the ones that you um, and what a lot of people, and also accepting a lot of those fears and a lot of that, a lot of the insecurities, and actually leaning into a lot of the unhealed trauma and the the things that you're afraid of. You have to let go of a lot of that control, right? And um, and begin to acknowledge that that a lot of things that uh, a lot of things that may have impacted you. And I know, um, you know, I want to use kind of use that as a pivot point because I know that, that you know while we were talking. There was a uh, you while we were talking about before the show um, about when you are in a relationship with someone, right? And to begin when you're when you're having some struggles, when you're um, and we can throw narcissism out of, out of the window for a second, right? When you're having uh, because all relationships go through through some tough times, and what's that process like right when you start to become aware of how you're presenting to that other partner right like because right. as much as you and I talk about narcissism about toxic relationships we also see a lot of times where we're like the person that's coming to us we're like you know we really need to we need to be bring some self-awareness in or you're going to translate this into other relationships as well and i know that um you know, I know that you you talk pretty openly about um, about uh, you working through some different dynamics with with your husband and how right. close you guys were at with, with the divorce and things like that. Tell us a little bit more about that, about that level of self awareness and how you got to certain things and how you were able to um, kind of heal those wounds or at least acknowledge some of those wounds or what that process was like. Right. So like recently, well, actually it was probably this past year, like me and my husband like separated. And I think we were talking about like how a lot of people look at like any type of separation, especially people from coming from the religious background, like they look at it as like this failure or this like mm -hmm. huge problem or like, oh, like everything's wrong. And like, you know, you're, you're the one who's like, you know, everything's messed up. Right. And it's interesting because I think the, only thing that kept my marriage alive was that separation because a lot of my own trauma was coming from identity and like identity as in not like the whole like orientation thing, but like identity of who I actually am outside of this relationship. Because when I, I mean, to give people context, I basically was married as like a, I was like a kid. Like I got engaged at like, oh my God, what was I? I was like 20, maybe like I was yeah, me too I was like, when I got married. Yeah, I was like 20, I think, when I got engaged. I think I was 21 when I got married. Um, so I was pretty much like barely an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely in the throes of my religious ideology stuff. Um, and I realized once I was kind of in the separation and like getting toward the separation that like I never was able to claim my authentic identity as like an adult, basically as an adult. And a lot of people are like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like a lot of us get married young and like, what are you talking about? And it's like, what I was talking about was like, literally, I never got to ask the question in my religion, like, 
what do I actually need from this life? Like I never got to look at it from a place of like self-ownership. It was always like, give it to God, whatever God wants. Like it was literally that narrative constantly. Oh, are you hoping for something? Whatever God wants. Oh, are you, are you seeking something? Whatever God wants. Right. And so like that narrative was spoken so many times over me that the second my deconstruction started, mm-hmm. it was this like radical spiral of like, I need to figure out what I actually want and who I actually am. Mm-hmm. And like that identity is really, really rooted in where some of these huge traumatic shakeups come in. Because if you think about it, when identity comes into play and trauma comes into play, that's where some of these like really, really like huge shakeups happen in our life because we're talking about who the, who, who are you? Right. Mm -hmm. When someone's like, what, like what, what makes you you? Right. And if you literally say like, I don't have an answer because for literally decades of my life, it was something that was constructed for me. Mm -hmm. It feels literally like the biggest like wind got hit out of you. Like you can't breathe. You can't feel, you don't know what to do. Right. And so for a while we were in this like stagnant stage of my marriage. And like, it was kind of like just a bunch of like, I wasn't really getting what I, like, I, I didn't know what I wanted. He didn't really know what he wanted. He was kind of struggling. I was massively struggling. Right. Um, and we were just kind of playing the part of marriage. Like, it was just like, we're, we got to be married. We got to play the part of marriage. Like we just got to always call it that. I always call it the kit. Right. When the, you know, when there's a, there's a religious trauma kit, as long as you're, as long as you're married, as long as you have kids, as long as there's a roof over your head, as long as the image is all together, then guess what? Everything's perfectly fine. fine. Right. Yeah. As long as, as long as, you know, and if you have any problems, right. Instead of going, don't go to therapy, go to your pastor. Right. And, and uh, the family that prays together stays together and everything else is going to be all right. Right. And and internally you're sitting there suffering, not really, you know, but uh, you're not really understanding why. Right. But as long as the kit is still together, right. Then, uh, then it's just an attack from the enemy. Right. Then they're, you know, and so, and so, and, and unfortunately too many people, right. Live that life. Right. But I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to over, over speak you and, you know, so it sounds like that's kind of where you guys were. Well, yeah, we were definitely in the autopilot roles. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, there was so much that like I was struggling with, I was definitely struggling with like some mental health stuff. I was starting to do like different medications and that was actually, (laughs) there's a lot of things that were like messing with me in the medication realm. So like the thing is, is that like, it was this huge cluster of like problems that were starting to compound on each other. And then what the, what we were actually doing was kind of doing the whole push it down, repress, everything's mm-hmm. fine kind of mentality. Like we were just not dealing with our problems. And like, right. I was really struggling at one point. And when it started to become like, I was realizing that this is like, just we're cycling the problem and I'm struggling with like, honestly, it got to a point where I was like, I literally don't know if I want this kind of life at all. Yeah. And I was like, slowly realizing that. And Mm -hmm. that was really hard for me. So once it got to that point, it was like, I was like super detached and like, we were kind of just, just playing, like completely phoning it in. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So once we got through kind of like this moment of like, we just have to 
figure out if we want to stay together. That's when the separation happened. And honestly, like I said, it was like one of the best things that I could do because I was able to like really understand what I wanted, who I wanted to be, like how I wanted to act, like what role that I play in this marriage, like Mm -hmm. what role was I playing as the mother, like that kind of thing. And it was one of, it was very healing because I was actually for the first time able to make things happen on my terms. And then once we had this conversation, I remember talking to my husband saying, I actually don't want a partner that doesn't want to autonomously show up. Mm -hmm. And so there'd be moments where I would try to have these like really raw, authentic conversations. And like, my husband was like struggling with like, holding that much authenticity and like actually being like, Oh God, she's showing up really real. And like, she's showing up like really raw and emotional and like, and like not in a bad way, but just like very real. Right. And I think for a long time, my husband's like almost like pathologized that. Like, I think Mm -hmm. he was like, wow, she's just like really intense and has like a lot of like, you know, she's just like, this is just how she is. She's really intense. Um, but then what I think he realized is that it was this like autonomous thing where like, I realized I was showing up and wanting to have these real like hard conversations and it started feeling like things weren't able to be talked about. Like there were like just things in our relationship that we weren't allowed to talk Mm -hmm. about. Like we weren't allowed to connect with. Right. Mm -hmm. And once he realized none of that authenticity was an actual threat to our marriage, Mm -hmm. it was just an opportunity to grow. He started realizing like he can't, I'm not willing to have a relationship with someone who's phoning it in and I'm no longer willing to phone it in. Mm -hmm. And then he, he was like, Oh, so if I'm going to stay in this relationship, I have to fully like actually want to be here. Mm -hmm. And once I said that, I looked at him and I was like, I I literally can't be married to someone who doesn't want to fully explore like my own authentic self along with your own authentic self. Mm -hmm. Right. So like if you ever two individuals, two individuals within one relationship. Yes. And that's the complexity of like Mm -hmm. authenticity in relationships is because Mm -hmm. what real love is, is I see your wounds and I want to hear and explore them. Right. It's not, that's a threat. That's not safe. That's mm-hmm. not allowed to be explored. Right. Yeah. And so that takes a lot of work yeah. to get to and it doesn't magically happen. Yeah. Right. And so what I realized is for a while, when I would open up and be real, I realized what I was receiving was kind of like, I hear you, but I'm also like either not judging, but I'm also like, labeling that like I'm kind of saying you're this one thing and like I realized that it wasn't actually as safe as I thought it was because in his mind he was kind of conceptualizing it in a way that I was like kind of either like not you know I was not up to par or is not doing enough or something like that um and of course that is insidious and it like infiltrates the marriage and Mm -hmm. like that's gonna show up in other places like people are gonna be resentful you know people are gonna be whatever and So what ended up happening was us having a real hard conversation about how we're going to show up for each other. Mm -hmm. And I said, I can't have a marriage where I literally feel like speaking up about something feels like it's a threat to Mm -hmm. you. So if I'm saying like, hey, this hurts me and you hear that as a threat, like, Mm -hmm. oh, what are you trying to do? Like, 
make me into somebody I'm not. And I'm like, no, I'm just speaking to a wound that's like coming up in our relationship. Right. Um, if he received that as a threat and he constantly saw my authenticity as like an accusation, honestly, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what it started happening. Um, I, he realized it was his perception of anything that wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. right? Because there was this concept in the religious world is I got to uh-huh. be the perfect husband. I got to be the perfect wife. So when a wife is looking at her husband saying, Hey, I need, I need you to show up this way or me, like I need to show up this way. And I'm like looking at it as like, Oh my God, like, you know, you're whatever. Like, I'm like, Oh, I'm so wounded because you hurt right. me. Like, no, like it's not, we're not trying to show up authentically to hurt the other person. We're trying to show up authentically to actually grow in that connection to how I'm showing up to the wound. So if I get really anxious around packing and I constantly, which is actually very real, I get very Mm -hmm. anxious around packing. Um, And I look at him and I say, Hey, I actually think a really good thing that we could do is like, something that we could do with our relationship is that like maybe you could show up in the packing and I could show up in a different way when we're doing like the, you know, getting ready for a trip. Right. Mm -hmm. And if he looks at that as like this, Oh my God, she's like sloughing off her responsibilities or she's lazy or blah, blah, blah. What I'm really speaking to is I actually, you know, I have ADHD and I have anxiety. So those two things really provoke in packing. That's actually one of my highest triggers. And so if I'm in a relationship and I'm looking at someone as like, Hey, we have to do this together. And like, I have a strength and you have a strength and I have a weakness and you have a weakness. And I'm trying to work on that. Like we can kind of support each other together, but I'm not like the enemy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not actually like trying to like attack you with my like problems. Right. Right. We're partners. We're not, we're not enemies. We're partners. Right. Right. And we both have to show up. I I tell people all the time, I'll I'll take care of me for you. You take care of you for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And what happens is that uh, and, and you show up and you show up as your most authentic self, the way that you just mentioned. And um, and and then you can you have the ability to attack, attack these these items together. But it does become very problematic when one or both people take that as a threat. Right. When they when they because they're sitting there looking at their own wounds and their their own issues. Right. And uh, it and so I give both of you guys credit for. For accepting that, accepting, you know, your own your own healing and working through that. We hear, I mean, both of us, we hear and we uh, we see people. Not that there's there's actually nothing wrong with with ending a with ending a relationship with mm-hmm. going through divorce. Sometimes right. it's very necessary, but it's also good to hear when someone does the work the way that you guys did, right. and when both people are able to accept it and uh, and work through it. So. Congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not all roses and daisies. Our story is like very complex, but like, I guess the way I explain it to people is that like, it took a lot of work on both ends Mm -hmm. to actually arrive to this level of safety. Right. And what I mean by that is real safety. And I hope your listeners can hear that is like, there's an entire concept of psychological safety that actually is mutually established when i say mutually established is that if it's a friendship or if it's a partnership like i don't just get to show up raw and real and authentic and then hope that they're receiving it well right i have to show up real raw and authentic and the other person that one of their responsibilities if they're trying to establish psychological safety is to actually hold space for the real 
way that that's showing up, not bringing in like, oh yeah, you're lazy or you're doing this, right? It's not coming up with all of these like perceptions. It's saying, hey, you're sharing this with me. And like, I'm honored that you're sharing this with me. And it seems like this is really hard for you. And you might in the back of your mind be like, are they struggling or like whatever? Like you might have your own perceptions, but it's really not your role to like assert those perceptions over them, right? It's just their, your role to be like, I'm here and I'm present and I'm like available, right? Yeah. And that's what happens in so many relationships is that there are people that are willing to go raw, authentic, you know, all of those things. But what they get met with is like either like semi passive, like not passive aggressive, kind of passive aggressive, like kind of like, okay, you know, like, and it's just like, you get super insecure because you're like, well, right. well, how was that person? Like, what are they doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Or it's even worse, right. Where the toxic stuff comes in because my relationship with like, my husband is so like, I, I like, he's such a good human being. And like, he's such a, he's a really amazing person. He didn't really bring in toxic things. It was that I don't think he knew how to process the information well. And right. I don't think he knew how to hold it within himself. Mm-hmm. And I also was not making it easy for him because I was like really struggling on the other end. So it was like this concept of like, it's not always about like the toxic a- aspect. It's that psychological safety doesn't, it, the, the opposite of psychological safety isn't always toxicity. Sometimes right. it's lack of understanding the self, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. if I don't know myself really well and I don't know how I'm showing up to relationships, that's why I call it relational coaching because I'm telling you that a skill set is to ask yourself, how are you showing up to relationships, right? right? Like if a friend comes at you with like a really, really raw understanding and you say something like, what do you want me to say? Yeah. Or what the hell do I do with that? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. As much as you think that's like a low key response, that is mm-hmm. such a threatening response even though it's not manipulative and it's not tactic it's like threatening to their safety because they sit yeah. there and they're like wait what do you mean what do you mean what do we do like what are you talking about like i just yeah. shared something like really really raw with you and you're like what am not i supposed to up, do not even participating yeah. oh my god it's so rough so it's like you have to know how you're showing up to these relationships Absolutely. because that's what fosters that safety. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you go, you got to remember, we all work on loops. We all work on like relationship loops. So if I showed up to you really raw, Matt, and you responded like that, my brain literally will immediately throw a flag and say, Hey, next time you have something to say to Matt, um, he might not be able to hold that information right. very well because what he just said was like super questionable it wasn't toxic but it was super questionable so like your brain remembers that stuff and then when you stop bringing things up all of a sudden that resentment builds up and then we have those resentment pops you don't ever listen to me i thought i told you that and and then all of a sudden things begin to spiral out of control Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So but yeah, I realize we're like going over time. Yeah. So <laughs> I was just going to say, Jamie, thank you very much for participating. This was absolutely amazing. It's always great to connect with me, connect with you. I know we connected on my live one time. I've been trying to get you on here for a little bit. So I appreciate <laughs> your time. And um, I know that everyone who has participated, and I know that people are watching the playback. So if you're watching the playback, make sure you guys comment and thank Jamie for, for participating. And also be sure to make sure you guys follow her. Uh, her 
her uh, YouTube is fairly new. Yes, so make sure you guys are following new. her on following her on YouTube, following her on TikTok, following her on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Jamie Recollect herself is, is it the same everywhere? Yep. Recollect itself, yeah. Just recollect itself. It's just at recollect itself. Um, and then the only other thing that I have going is I think like one of my courses is closing tomorrow. So if anyone wants to get in that, you can do that, but this might also play. And then we also have the podcast unlearned, um, that's launching next week. So if you guys want to check that out, it will probably be live by the time you listen to it. So <laughs> absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, and we will connect again. We'll yes. talk soon. All thank right. you guys. Everyone who's Bye. everyone who's listening, thank you guys for participating, and we will talk again soon. See you guys next Wednesday. Um, this is the first episode of um, the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. So make sure that you guys tune in every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central. Um, you can adjust that time to wherever you guys are located. Uh, where we that's when we go live. But the playback will always be available on whatever social media platform you're watching on. Also, make sure that you guys listen to this. Um, you can listen to the audio version. The audio version will be on all major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Thank you guys very much. You guys have a great night, and we will talk to you next Wednesday. Have a good one.